And here we are. I know it is a um, bit of a broken record for me to say that it seems like every year this season passes faster and faster. Tony and I were talking last night, and I said, I just, it's just unfathomable to me that, that Christmas Eve is, is almost upon us, and we focus so much in the life of the church on this special night of worship. We, we build to it. Somebody asked me this week, they said, you know, what do you pray for before Christmas Eve? And, and they were really looking for some deep spiritual answer. Um, and I, so I gave it to them. I said, well, we pray that, you know, people are blessed by the music and by the, by the worship, and, and that we all slow down a little bit and, and really experience what the heart of Christmas is. And that's really true. We do pray for that. That's the, the spiritual answer. The practical answer is, you know, we pray that none of us trip on all the stuff on the stage and take a header <laughs> off, off of it, because it's jammed, and there's so much, and it's such a wonderful um, service, and all this, these talented folks behind me, but, but the heart of it is for us to experience the, the gift of God's gift in Jesus. And so each week in Advent, for those who worship here with us and those of you that have been here know, but each week uh, we've been in a, in a series that's titled, For Unto Us is Given. And the focus on us, because before we start thinking about the gifts we give, the heart of Christmas is focusing on the gift we've received. And so each week we've talked about what that gift of God is for us in Jesus. And we've talked about um, the themes of, of Advent, which have been um, love and peace and hope. And tonight we talk about joy. This is, this is a night that, that is characterized by the joy, our opening hymn, Joy to the World. And it becomes this, this central theme. And, and we certainly see it in the experience around the room and, and each service um, is a little different. The flavor of each service is a little different. We have some kids in this service. Last service, we had a lot of kids. And, and there's an energy to that, and there's an excitement to that, and, and, and you can see that anticipation, that joyful anticipation. I always, I've said before, and some of you have heard me say, this is one of the hardest sermons of the year to preach, not because of the difficulty of the occasion, but because I know there's a whole group of kids in each service that are just praying for me to be done because they want to go, right? They want to get home. And there's a few adults praying for that too, but you keep that to yourself. Um, it's the easiest night, at least it was for us as parents, to get our kids to go to bed. Not go to sleep, but to go to bed because of that anticipation, that joy. And we talk so much about that. But, but as we talk about joy, we also have to begin with also recognizing that, that that's not all everybody's experience right now. Some of you here tonight are, are wrestling with that because this can be a very difficult time. There's challenges and there's difficulties and there's obstacles and there's, there's anxieties and, and there's any number of things that we're wrestling with it that would, if joy is about our external circumstances, will rob us of that. But what we want to, what I hope that we can hear tonight, what I hope that we can focus on is the truth that the joy that God gives is not dependent upon the circumstances around us, but what God is doing in and through us. And so joy looks differently. And we see that through the story of the birth of Jesus. And we, we've read that story tonight, and there's much more to the story. And story is such a central part of the celebration of Christmas for us, both spiritual and secular. You know, we celebrate the, the, the story of Jesus' birth, but around the holiday, 
We have a lot of stories that form our traditions and that shape our traditions and characters that begin to, to even shape our understanding of, of what this, this holy season can be about. And I was thinking about one of those stories, and I wonder if you maybe will identify with this, if some of these characters may sound familiar to you, maybe if you can locate them in a familiar story. Characters by the name of um, Charlie in the Box, or the cowboy that rides an ostrich, the boat that doesn't float, the polka dot bear. Anybody catching it? What is it? And where, what are they specifically? The Misfit Toys. The Island of Misfit Toys. If you remember that, Rudolph, that story, the, clay, the claymation story, that obviously is still being watched regularly. And, and the, the water gun that shoots jelly. And the, the, um, the train engine that has square wheels on the caboose. And, and these, these, these toys that are part of this story that are unwanted that are not living into or not getting the opportunity to experience the love that they are created for, that hunger to understand that they have and to experience value and place and purpose and, and, and being wanted. And so I was thinking about that, and I was, I was thinking about Rudolph and, and the island of misfit toys, and, and for me, a bridge gets built to, and this is going to sound a little maybe sacrilegious, but to the nativity scene. Down here in front of us is a nativity scene. You've all seen one. You probably have, a lot of you probably have them in your home. But I started to think about the characters of the nativity because in many ways they represent a, a group of, of misfits. And when I say misfit, I mean that in a very literal sense of the word. They're pieces that in and of themselves just don't seem to fit. If we were writing the story, they, it just doesn't make sense. This story about the, the coming of God made flesh, the story of the birth of the King of Kings, and you have these pieces of the, the story that God has included into the narrative that just, if we're really objective, don't make sense. I mean, think about it. At the very center, is a, at the beginning of the story, is an unwed, pregnant mother-to-be, teenager, teenager and next to her is a is an a, a, a is a fiance a husband to be that is trying desperately to make sense of this entire story trying to put the pieces together try to try to wrap his head around this and and he's struggling and he's trying to make his own way as a carpenter and and provide now for a family and there doesn't seem to be anything particularly noteworthy about joseph outside of this story and then we have Shepherds, we talked about them a few weeks ago. They're social outcasts. They're the bottom of the, of the, the social rung, the bottom of the ladder. They're, they're pushed to the sides. They're not allowed in the holy places. They're, not, they're the kind of people that you, you walk by but you don't see. And they're invited. And, and the wise men who come a little bit later, but they're foreigners. They're outsiders. They're coming into a place that has great distrust of foreigner outsiders. That as a nation hasn't had a lot of positive experience with foreigners and outsiders. And they are coming into the story, but their inclusion seems to make little sense. And there, there are people that are part of the story that aren't in the nativity, but you have Zachariah and Elizabeth, the, the mother and father of John the Baptist, but people whose dreams of having children had long died as their age had um, accelerated and yet they're tapped to be part of the story 
and Simeon and, and Anna and all these parts. Even Bethlehem itself is a backwards village five miles outside Jerusalem. It's nowhere near the heart and the center of the religious life. All of these pieces just don't really seem to fit until we begin to understand the power of the way God works and the way God gives value to things that we don't and sees value in things that we don't and begins to weave all these pieces into the story so that through it we can find ourselves that we can look at the nativity and we can read the story of the birth of Jesus, we can understand that that's not just their story, that's our story. Because at the very, very beginning, God wants to communicate this very profound truth that this is for everybody. And there's nobody that's excluded. There's nobody that's outside the bounds of being a part of this coming of Jesus and being invited to participate in, in the power of what this means. And weaving it all together, weaving these, these, um, these pieces, these very, very strange and different pieces together, is the, the repetitive um, appearance of angels. Angels become this, this catalyst that, start to, that God uses to weave these, these parts into, into, a, uh, into a fluid story and so we we read about angels showing up to to joseph and and to zachariah and to shepherds and to mary and it's interesting when you start to think about those experiences to think about what your image of an angel is it would be it would be interesting for us if we had the time to trace what kind of images come to mind when i say think of an angel what do you see when we talk about angels because for some of us, we see that very ethereal, um, kind of spiritual appearance of, of somebody that looks somewhat human. Or, or some may ha- you may have different images, maybe shaped by story and experience. For some, it's, it's a very um, cute kind of image, a Casper the Friendly Ghost kind of thing. You know, just poke the belly and it'll laugh. That's the Pillsbury Doughboy, but you get it. Um, <laughs> but, 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 but for most of us, it's, it's a very safe image. We think of something very inviting and warm. But, but it's interesting that when you start to think about the angels appearing, in each time we read words like this, when Zachariah saw the angel, he was scared. When Mary saw the angel, she was troubled. When shepherds saw the angels, they were terrified. Because angels show up in the, as the messenger of God, that's what they do, both Old and New Testament. We see them as, as messengers of God's word, that we see them as messengers sometimes of God's judgment. In the Gospels, they care for Jesus, they provide for Jesus. But, but so often, almost every time, they disrupt things. They change perspectives, they change trajectories, they change understandings. Stories go in new direction, lives move in new ways when angels show up. So Zechariah is scared. Mary can't make sense of it. Joseph is troubled. And shepherds are terrified. Because as they come, they bring a new understanding. We get to see a new image of what God sees in us when we begin to understand these parts of the story of the birth of Jesus. When we begin to understand these unique parts of the, of, of the narrative, because all of these misfit pieces, 
we might even say broken pieces. God weaves together to create a beautiful story. God does remarkable things with broken people. I mean, shepherds and wise men and teenage mothers. God makes, well, God makes music. You know, in a few minutes, we are going to light candles. And we are going to sing Silent Night. And that is a tradition we share here. That's a tradition a lot of churches. I grew up in every church I was a part of as a kid. On Christmas Eve, we lit candles and sang Silent Night. Many of you have been in churches that light candles and sing Silent Night. Around the country, around the world tonight, hundreds and thousands and millions of people will light candles and sing Silent Night. This song has become kind of a universal uh, part of this celebration of the birth of Jesus. And a year ago, I talked about that story. But just maybe to refresh your memory, the lyrics for Silent Night were written in 1817 by a local priest by the name of Father Joseph Moore. We don't really know what the occasion for the writing was, what, what inspired the writing. The, the legend is that he was coming back one night from visiting with a couple that had just had a baby. And as he was coming back from their house, he was imagining what that night of the birth of Jesus might have been like. And he was kind of observing and reflecting and writing, if you will. And and so, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. He'd seen it and, and he was imagining that may be what it was like the night that Jesus was born. And so the following year, in 1818, in this village in Obendorf, currently Austria, they had a problem. As they were getting ready for their Christmas Eve service, they were getting ready for their celebration and their traditions, the organ was busted. The instrument used to make music, the only instrument allowed by the church in worship, was broken, and it was broken beyond repair. So Father Moore took these lyrics, these words, this poem that he'd written, and he went to the, to the organist, a fellow by the name of Franz Gruber. And he said, can you put this to guitar music? And Gruber looked at him and said, I'm an organist, not a guitar player. And he said, certainly you know three chords. And he said, well, yeah, I know three chords. And he said, then put it to three chords, and we're going to sing it at Christmas Eve. And that's what they did. On that night in 1818 in Obendorf, they sang for the first time in public worship, Stilla Nacht, Silent Night. And tonight, millions will sing it. And it all happened because of a broken organ. What does God do through brokenness? What does God do? That, the story of, of the birth of Jesus is the story of grace that, that meets us in the broken places of our lives and transforms it into something beautiful, into something powerful, into something special because grace says to us that we have a place in the story. Philip Yancey wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace? And in it, he says that grace is the last great word. He says, it's the last great word. I think he's right. 
He says, because grace says to us, there's nothing you can do that's going to make God love you anymore. And there's nothing you can do that's going to make God love you any less. God loves you perfectly right here, right now. That's what grace does. Romans 8, 1, for in Christ there is, there is no condemnation for those in Christ. The question for us is as we look at our lives is do we own that? Do we own that gift? Do we own that invitation to take the parts of us that we don't think are worthy or valuable and to recognize we're invited to be part of the story of what God is doing and continues to do into the world? Do we own grace or is it just one of those words we say in church? Because I think the problem is, I think too many of us approach grace the way that we do a bathroom mirror. Or at least the way I approach a bathroom mirror. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and I'm getting ready and I see that mirror, I don't often like what I see. Because I tend to focus on flaws. Right? I, I focus on the fact that there's more pounds than I wish there was. I focus on the fact that there's lines that used to not be there. I focus on the fact that half the time I can't even see the thing that well. That's what I focus on. We start to see things. I, I, this past week, I, uh, I went about four or five days and I, and I didn't shave. Um, I just was doing it mainly because Tony doesn't like it and so I was messing with her. And, um, and, and not that after four or five days there's a whole lot to show for it for me. But... Um, but I was noticing something. I'm standing in the mirror, and I'm looking, and there have been a few times in my life when I have grown some semblance of of facial hair, and it's always been red. But now, it's very, very blonde. Very blonde. (laughs) And (laughs) Blonde, blonde. Let me hold on to my illusions. And I'm just staring at that, and it's it's just seeing these things that maybe I wish weren't. And I think what we have a tendency to do sometimes spiritually, or physically, is what we do spiritually. We see things that God has long forgotten about. We look at our lives and we see the brokenness. We see the the failures, the the, the relationships that didn't work, the financial struggles that we've experienced, the, 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 the pain, the grief, the hurt, and all of those are part of our story. But sometimes we hold on to them when God has long since forgotten and we don't see the value and the worth that God speaks in our lives Christmas reminds us of the value and the worth of each of us because we're invited into the story and and what I have to be reminded is that way the way we see ourselves is not the way God does because we do see brokenness so often but God doesn't God sees God sees works of art. I was out Sunday night. Tony and I went out to, um, to the movies, and she's been wanting for months or for weeks, I don't know how long it's been out, but she wanted to, really wanted to go see um, It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Some of you are not in your heads. You've seen it. And so it's, it was showing in one theater that we could find at one time. So that's when we went Sunday night to see this movie about, really about a writer who becomes friends with Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. And um, if you have not seen it, and it's probably going to now be video, but I highly, highly recommend it to you. But as we're leaving, 
the theater that night, Tony said, well, you know, what, what kind of stood out to you? What, 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 what made the biggest impact? Because there's lots of pearls of wisdom and powerful moments in the, the narrative of the story. And I said, you know, for me, it was a scene where this, this younger man, Lloyd Vogel in the movie, he's representative of, it's based on a true story. He's a writer, and he's a writer that's carrying a lot of pain and a lot of anger in his life. And he gets in this, he's invited into this relationship with, with Fred Rogers. And they're sitting, and they're having lunch. And as they're talking, Lloyd Vogel looks at him and says, I, I, was, I was told about you. Mr. Rogers says, what, what do you mean? And he says, I was told that you like people like me. You like broken people. Mr. Rogers sits just quietly, reflectively. And he looks at him and he says, but Lloyd, you're not broken. You're not broken. And I thought about that. And I thought that's, for me, an image of what God says to us. We see brokenness and, and, and shortcomings. But that's not what God sees. Grace tells us that God sees something different. Scriptures tell us that God sees saints. We're called saints. We're called joint heirs to the kingdom. We're called the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. That's what we're called. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's handiwork. We are God's masterpiece created to do good works. When I look at the nativity, when I think about what the joy of Christmas means, I think of grace. I think of, of, of new birth and new beginnings. I think of a God who has forgotten the past and has freed us for a future. I think about a challenge to see myself the way God sees me. Not to deny my faults, but to live into my strengths. Live into who God has said I am. In a moment, we're going to sing a line that says, Tonight is the dawn of redeeming grace. That's what Christmas is. That's the joy of Christmas. I pray, brothers and sisters, as we worship tonight, as we remember the story, don't just think of what it is in an abstract way, but but internalize it. You're invited to be a part of it because God sees you as a masterpiece. That's the joy of Christmas. That is the dawn of God's redeeming grace in Christ Jesus. It's the grace that is birthed at Christmas and brought to fruition at the cross through the death and resurrection. And that's the gift God gives us and the joy that we're invited to receive. I pray this Christmas you'd receive it. Let us pray. Lord God, that we would uh, just receive this gift, this gift of your grace, this gift of our inclusion into the story with all our seemingly broken parts. But remind us, that's not what you see. But you see your masterpiece, your handiwork. You see joint heirs, you see saints of God, you see those who are created for the works and the good that you have birthed in us through your Spirit. Lord, I pray that we'd hold on to that, that that would be the joy of Christmas and bless all the celebration, all the fun, and all the magic of this night. We pray in Jesus' holy name, amen.